Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. There are times when we have these, you know, an event that takes place in our life where we don't have an answer and we don't really know what to do in the midst of the situation we're at. That includes if you've been in church for a long time or if you have an understanding of faith or whatever the case may be, there comes a time, a traumatic experience in your life to where it, 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 you're, you feel alone and you're being overwhelmed emotionally. And the reason why I want to minister in this area is because we've all been through it or if you haven't, you will one day. And that's the sad thing about this life is, is life is not simple. There are difficult times, situations, circumstances that arise. And in that, is there an answer? Does God give us help for our life to be able to overcome? Everything about the kingdom is the ability to have an answer for the situation at hand. It's very clear in God's will or God's plan in the beginning of the creation. He created everything that man and women would need to exist on this earth and be successful on this earth. He created everything for them. Every provision, every need was created. Then man and woman were created. Do you see that? That's how God operates. God isn't creating man and all of a sudden go, whoops, I should have made food. Whoops, I should have gave them air and now they're dead. You know what I'm saying? So what God wants us to understand is in his word, and this is where we're going to go to because these are where the answers are. What I need you to do is, is I need you to not to look at this as a storybook because that's what most people do. They, they look at this more as something I need to read because if you read it, you get brownie points with God. Or let's read stuff that happened thousands of years ago, but it doesn't have no re- relevance in my life. And I'm here to tell you, everything in the word has relevance for you. Now, it's how we see it that, that determines how we receive it. There is a specific way that we are to receive God's word. All right, so in other words, I'm not going to look at the Old Testament and define it by I live in the Old Testament. I'm going to look at the Old Testament and define it through my new covenant eyes, but I'm going to learn. All right, so there might be, quote, a story in there, but that's actually a lesson. Now, let's look at the scripture where it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happen to them. Now talking about the Old Testament, and this is a letter to the Corinthian church. Paul's saying, now the things in the Old Testament happen as an example. Everybody say example. As an example, but they were written down for our instruction. they happen as an example in their lives, example, that a picture we can look at, but the writing of them down is for our instruction. We get to look at what happened in their lives and get information for my life today. That's pretty powerful. 
This is how we know that the word of God is what it says it is. It's a living word. It's alive. It's relevant for today. It doesn't matter if it happened yesterday or 6,000 years ago. The truth is, is it is relevant. Now, do we live or operate the way they did back then? No, but there are specific things that we can see that can help us understand how to deal with things. I don't know about you, but I've read many stories where I look at these people and I go, what a screw up. And then I realize, man, God's using that screw up big. And so I look at that and I go, wow, I, there's hope for me. There's hope for me. And that's what we're to do. We're to look and pay attention to these examples. Do you see what I'm saying? So we're going to let David, we're going to let King David do some teaching. All right. Now, I'm not King David. I'm, I'm going to talk about him, but he's going to teach us some things in this message, I'm going to give you the ability to deal with trauma, all right? So I'm not talking about you have a bad day today. I'm not talking about, you know, you got a flat tire on the way to work. I'm talking about a traumatic experience in your life. I'm talking about the worst of the worst. Now, we don't want that for anyone, all right? But I know many of you have gone through or been in one or now are dealing with an issue where you're like, you don't know what to do about this. You've got all these beliefs, you got information from the word and everything, but it's almost like nothing's lining up correctly because you're overwhelmed. And I want to bring some clarity on this. I want you to have the word of God to give you the strength and ability to have victory. But we have to get the truth. We can't operate by opinion. We can't operate by feeling. We can't operate by assumption. I need to know what God says about this. Because I can tell you right now, in my journey, my personal journey, I've been in the, you know, the, the charismatic churches. I've been into the, the middle ground you know, uh, type of churches. And I've been to the word of faith type churches. And I've been, I've been in these different types of, quote, movements in understandings of specific things in Scripture. But I've also heard a lot of information that almost aligns a spiritual um, level in someone's life that requires things that don't line up with Scripture. The requirement doesn't come from the Word. It comes from opinions. It comes from men's viewpoints, women's viewpoints. You hear what I'm saying? And what it does is it gives us information that's faulty, but it's information. And so what do I do? Well, I take the information and now I define information to God. And it's not his word, it's how I received it and I was taught. And then when things don't align, what happens? Well, it's God information, but it isn't. And that's what we want to do. We want to be clarity in all this. So Psalms 27, 13, you ready for this? David said, now, if you know anything about David's life, it, I would suggest just to read about King David. You can start in, in 1 Samuel and you can go through the process and, and, and just pay attention to his life because that guy went through hell. I mean, it was not an easy life. He started this thing by the, the, the prophet of God, Samuel, 
comes up to him and anoints him king at about 14 years old. I mean, that's crazy. No one even has him on their radar as king or as anybody of importance. Even his brothers look at him as a nobody. But here God is as he's looking around and saying, who can lead my people the way I want it to be led? And he finds a little shepherd boy out on the field. <clears throat> By the way, we're not talking about a shepherd that has a, a, massive, a massive flock of sheep watching over and he's proving how awesome he is. The Bible said a few sheep. So David's not even, David's not even, want, you know, they got, they got, Guys walking around sheep with hundreds and thousands of them. David's a guy like six. But he's out there being faithful, watching those sheep, protecting those sheep. But the point is, is God picks him. And from his life, it doesn't go up. It goes down. It gets worse and worse and worse. He literally, you know, David and the giant, right? And he kills the giant, and you think, that should be it. And everybody did. Everybody thought, he is awesome. But all of a sudden, the other king says, no, I want him dead. He's got, too much, he's, he's, he's got too much power, and people are singing songs about him, then they're better than the songs they sing about me. So he got an attitude, and he says, no, let's just kill him. And he's the king, so now David's running from his life constantly, from a nation, not from a few mean people. The whole nation of Israel is hunting him down. That's tough, isn't it? That, and he's not stopping at hotels and going, well, I'll stay here for a few days. He's out in the wilderness. Do you understand? Running for his life. You, we don't comprehend it because we don't even think about what's taking place. Where are they getting water? Where are they getting food? You ever been in the mountains? Have you been out in the wilderness before? You just don't, it's not like you have this massive chuck wagon you're carrying along with you. These guys, they're literally running for his life. So he's got to deal with hunger. He's got to deal with wild beasts. He's got to deal with all kinds of stuff. And then a whole nation wants him dead. But he's king. And so here we have this picture of David where He's at this position in his life where he's now able to share some thoughts. Now listen to what he says. I have would have lost heart. I, I would have lost it all. My emotions, everything within me, gone. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What does that mean? He says, the only reason why I didn't go freaky and lose it all, just quit life, is because I believed in the goodness of God and I would see it now. That's what he says, now. And see, this is something we need to pay attention to because I'm gonna be talking about his life. But notice what he says. He says, I am going to see God's goodness I would have lost heart. Why would he have lost heart? Because it's terrible. What he's going through, he's got enemies, he's got people, he's got traitors, he's got all kinds of people around him that, that are not bringing comfort to his life. And he's at a place where, what do I do? What do I do? And he says, 
I believed. I believed. Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Then he emphasizes again, wait on the Lord. Now, I've heard all kinds of religious type of messages on wait on the Lord, and I'm gonna tell you right now, waiting on the Lord is nothing that you think. In other words, waiting on the Lord is, I'm gonna sit at home and just wait till something happens. That's not the Hebrew word at all. The Hebrew word actually is a verb, and it's an action word of faith in the Bible. So anytime you see wait, it's not at all. That's not the definition in Scripture. Translated English, wait. We define English that way. And what does that mean? We got people, church people, that sit around going, well, I'm just waiting for Jesus. I'm just waiting for God, you know. Shouldn't you get a job? Well, I'm just waiting for him to get me one. Do you see what I'm saying? And I've heard this so many times. But what this word literally means is it's a position of faith. It's actually the Hebrew word kava, which means to have looking with the eyes of expectation that what's about, it's going to happen. It's the same words in the Greek of faith. It's looking with expectation that things are going to happen. Okay? So waiting on the Lord means he's, he's looking and expecting something big. You see what I'm saying? Then it says here, be of good courage. Now, courage doesn't mean David said, okay, I'm going to go now start lifting. I'm going to start working out. With, I'm going to start working out, join the Jerusalem wilderness gym. I'm going to do some curls. You know, I'm going to bench. I'm going to, get the, I'm going to get my body strong. This is a position of his mindset was changing. The position of courage is, is your mind being strengthened through thought. Mind being strengthened through thought. That's what the Hebrew word means. Okay, so we have this picture where David literally is, is taking control of his thoughts. You want to have a position of strength in a time of weakness? You've got to control this. I said, you, me, we have to control this. That's why the scripture says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Take how many thoughts? Every thought. Why is he telling us that? He's saying you're in control. I love it. I remember hearing this and teaching this years and years ago, and I remember how many people came up to me and say, that's impossible. And I almost would agree with them, like, how are you going to do every thought? Every thought comes to my head. And then I grew in the understanding of what God was showing me and revealing me to me in his word. And that word isn't that every single thought coming in your head, you're sitting there going, okay, hold on, hold on. Do you know you have thousands of thoughts in, in minutes? I mean, just thoughts are, are flowing through your head all the time. What he's saying is this, is you are in control of thoughts. If I have the ability to take something captive, am I in control? Exactly. So what he's saying is, is that when it comes to my life, in the area of thoughts, 
I can control them. Are you guys hearing this? I can control them. So we don't look at it and go, how can they do this? How can they do this? You know exactly why you do what you do because why you do what you do is what you've been thinking about. It's not a fleeting thought. You didn't go do that bad thing or do that thing you shouldn't be doing because it just came in your head. Nobody does that. It's been in your head for a long time. You've been meditating on it. And because you haven't taken that thought captive, it's taking you captive. Right? Okay, what do we do in this church? It's not difficult. It's a very simple exclamation, expl, explanation. We don't just look at one view. We look at the whole picture of the word. I like to show the negative, but I like to see the flip side, the positive. I like to show the positive, and I like to see the flip side, the negative. Why? Because that's how we actually live life. And so what do I do? I pay attention to what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. And if I'm looking at this word and it says that I am going to operate or act in the process of my thinking, the thoughts I'm having. Now I say it just a minute ago in a negative. They have taken you captive. Now let's flip it to the good. That means those other thoughts that you are, when you want good change, you want to do the right thing, and you're thinking about that because you don't do it until you think. They, what? Take you captive. So you can be taken captive on the good. Do you see what I'm saying? So the thoughts now that I allow are taking me captive. What does that mean? I'm being controlled by that thought. You want help in your life? This is, we're not even talking about trauma right now. Right now I'm talking about you want to be in control of your life, control your thoughts. Because the scripture tells us be courageous. If it's tell me to be something, what does that mean? I have a choice. I can be. He's not gonna give me a choice if it isn't possible. That means everybody in here. I don't care if you talk. I'm just a scaredy cat. Everybody knows I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You are because that's what you believe. That's what you speak. Start changing your language. You'll stay the way you are. You got to change what's coming out of your mouth. And that will be from your heart. The abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. Now, let me ask you something. Is language created by full understanding or is there a process of growth? Exactly. That means that your transformation, your change, is a process. I won't lie anymore. Well, the truth is you're probably going to. But if you continue in your confession, in your belief for transformation, ultimately you won't. You see what I'm saying? You'll get to that place. The, the religious wants the magic, the, the, the Jesus one, where every, God's just going and going, twinkle, twinkle, boom, boom. And, and people are either getting it or not getting it. And if you don't get it, oh, well, I guess it's God's will. You don't know how many times that's, that's the prevailing thought in church. Ma majority of every commentary on Scripture is tied to that thought process. 
If you're healed, you're healed. If you're not, you're not. God wanted that one. God didn't want you to be healed. It's ridiculous, but everybody goes along with it. Why? Because we're not, we're allowing opinions to be our teacher, not the word of God. I'm not looking for it. I want truth. It's the truth that'll set me free. God's word. And that's what we want. Do we not? All right. So he emphasizes it. He says, wait, I say on the Lord. He's speaking to himself, by the way. There are times when you need to, you need to tell yourself, shut up. Just shut up. There are times when you need to just zip the lip. You make the choice. You know, a lot of times you go, blah, 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 blah. and then you got to back it up and go, okay, man, my bad. I'm done. Stop, stop. And no matter that, just stop. You are in control. No, they make me. No one makes you do nothing. You choose. You choose, amen? Now, I'm going to show you something really beautiful and comfort. This, this amplified scripture in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. You're going to love this. I, what I want to do is I want you to see the word of God in this area of our new covenant in a picture that should bring you a foundation of acceptance in the rest of the stuff. Blessed be the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of sympathy, pity, and mercy, and the God who is the source of every comfort, consolation, and encouragement, who comforts, consoles, and encourages us in every trouble, calamity, or affliction, so that we may be able to comfort, console, encourage those who are in any kind of trouble or distress with comfort, consolation, and courage, with which we ourselves are comforted, consoled, encouraged by God. You see this? See, what trouble and evil's out there. Things happen. Life happens. The big picture is, is we live eternally. I know we're, we're, we're almost box-minded in this natural life because this is our experience. But you're going to live, you're living forever. Do you understand that? Do you know that everybody born on this earth, listen to me, everybody, lives forever, everybody. Now, there's only two places where eternity will be lived. Heaven, hell, but it's eternal. There's, it's not part-time in hell. That's freaky. I'm not going to hell. I made a choice. My choice is Jesus, amen? You make a choice like that? If you haven't, you can. I mean, that's that simple. What do I need to do? Just call on Jesus. That's what you need to do. You need to put your hope and trust in him. Yeah, but what if I do this and this? I, I didn't say that. That's what religious people say. You gotta get trust knowing him. You gotta get in him. You gotta call on him. You gotta talk to him. Jesus, save me. I know when I did that, I didn't feel like, oh, well, heaven's all over me. I felt like, ah, crying like a little baby. 
After that, I just said, what do we do next? What, what's the next step? And that was the beginning of my journey. Next step, let's go to church. All right, let's do it. The point is, is when we start connecting the truth, we can see this stuff and how we're to experience a negative life and realize that my God is not gonna leave me stranded. That's not what he's about. He's the God of hope. Say the God of hope. He's the God of hope. He is the God of hope. All through the scripture it says, put your hope in God, because he's the God of hope. Put your hope in God. Put your expectation in God. Why? Because he has all the answers. All of them. And we want that, do we not? So David is going to now enter into something that is, it is a time of major trauma. It's in the scripture. It's something he went through and he overcame the problem. I've been here. Some other people in here have gone through traumatic experiences. It could be with family members, it could be whatever. The point is, is you've been, many people have been through places in their lives, situations to where you have this knowledge, this information, and even with the knowledge and information, there's so much trauma that is coming upon your life because of the situation or the circumstance that you almost are in shock. But in here, you know, I have to, I have to be different or I have to speak different or I have to think different. But because this, this isn't a bad day. This is the worst day of your life. And those worst days do not have answers right away even if it's in your heart. Why? Because it's, it's tied to the soul in the closest connection that you can have. And the soul is the emotions. And that's something that just, it, it's, it's strong. I've seen people literally lose their lives lose their walk with the Lord, lose great things for their lives because of soul ties. They get soul tied with someone else to where that tie is so powerful that they lose all sense of reasoning. They lose what was right and they base whatever that tie is commanding. And I've seen it. And that is the power of that soul tie. That's a negative aspect, but it's a positive one too. Because you, if you're a, 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 a male and you want to be married one day and you get married and you have your wife, there is a soul tie. That's important because that relationship has to become that tight. When you have children, there becomes a soul tie. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's important, it's mandatory, it's necessary because it's more than just, I'd like to have a good day. 
it has, I, resp I have responsibility for you to have a good day. So they become so much tighter and so much closer. In that soul tie, things can happen to that person where I feel the effects of it in a great way. Parents, you understand what I'm saying, right? My kid, if, well, I remember my child falling down and just falling down. And it would be a big event for me. Now, I wouldn't baby them, but I made sure that I would cover them. Do you see what I'm saying? Why? Because that is that soul connection, that soul tie. I don't want them hurt. I don't want them hurt. I know they're going to trip up. I know they're going to fall. I know they're going to do things like that. I went through this whole thing. You guys have gone through that whole thing. I have broken bones, all kinds of things. They're based upon getting hurt. But the point is, is what happens is when that person is close, that soul connection, you feel it. You feel it. It's just like if you're close to something emotionally, I, and I, I, like to, I talk about this a lot because it was part of my life. It was part of my life for, you know, hundreds of years, all right? But I, I, starting at five years old, I, I, I played every sport. Baseball, basketball, and football, all right? So I've been doing that all the way through my life, high school, uh, junior high, high school, college, things like that. So I have this connection in that area, but in that, there is this emotional tie that takes place that is strong. And I could watch a game and see someone get hurt and feel that pain. I'm in my lazy boy with popcorn. And I see someone crack like that, and my whole body's like going, ah, ah, like I did it. That's crazy, isn't it? And there is no pain. But everything in my mind goes, what? Nah, we've been there. It's, it's experiencing. I, I've, I've snapped my arm catching a football as a tight end. Snap! I've broken fingers as a pitcher trying to grab a ball that's line shot, and it hit my finger and break it. I've been through so many different things where I've been hurt. So when I'm watching it and someone gets hurt, I feel their pain. And it's ridiculous. It's not fair. But that's what I will do as a parent. I'll feel their pain. And I don't want them to have that pain. Why, Pastor, are you telling me this? Because our father has so much more greater love than we could ever, ever operate in. And if I can do what I'm doing at that level, can you imagine how he is? That's what I'm talking about. Now we're talking about a whole different level. So see, I live this life knowing that my father does care. When I trip, he cares. When I fall, he cares. He even cares when I was disobedient, and I told my kid, don't do that, and they got hurt. What do I do? I walk away from them, because how dare you not listen to me? No, I don't. I'm going to take care of that need. Then I'm going to give them the bada. That's all there's to it, but I'll tell you what, I will not let them stay hurt. Not going to happen. Well, my father's the same way. Now, let's look at this. First Samuel, uh, Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. What's interesting about this is David has not lost a battle. This dude is tearing it up. 
He's, he's, he's like, uh, you know, he's like 20 and 0 right now. He's just, he goes to battle, he wins. He goes to battle, he wins. This guy is a winner. The guy, his teammates on his team, they're winners too. How come? Because they're with David. They were losers at the beginning. He's got 600 winners right now. But you know why they're winners? It's because he discipled them. He trained them. He taught them. The Bible says that these men came, came to be a part of David's kingdom. David's an outcast, but these men came. You know who these people were? Losers. All of them. They're running from tax debt. They're running from, you know, they were in trouble with the law. All these guys that joined David were the biggest losers on planet Earth. And here David is, he's this anointed king with 600 losers, including his family, which is interesting because they're the ones that looked at David and said, you can't be king. How dare you think you're king? And here they are with him. So he's got all these guys that's just like, these are messed up people. And what he does is he says, I can work with this. I can work with that. I know what he's feeling like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the thing is, is he, he gets into a place where they're following and doing. And they're believing. And they are winning and winning and winning. And now we come to this position where they've just gone out and, and they're destroying the enemy and they're coming home. You ready for this? Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. Ziklag is, is his hometown right now. It's in enemy's territory he's safe from Israel. Remember, Israel's hunting him down still. So he's far in the Philistine army, the, the, the enemy of Israel, he's up in their territory living in one of their cities, Ziklag. Isn't that interesting? So here he is, and there's all kinds of, all kinds of information about that, but we're talking about this right now. So on the third day, the Amalekites invaded the south and Ziklag. So this is another area, another group of people that are enemies of David. So David's out fighting this war. Ziklag is where all the kids are. It's where the wives are. It's where all the family is. Everybody's at Ziklag, and David and his men are out fighting. Y'all got this? The Malachites come in. David's not there. His warriors are gone. So what do they do? They burn the city down. And this is what we're going to see. They burn the city down. They take every woman, child, take them all, all the money, all the, everything. Everything is now gone and the city is on fire burning. Y'all got this? David's out doing God's will. He's winning. He's winning in life. Everything he goes out to, every enemy he comes to, he defeats. Man, he's a Christian on top of the world. He's winning, man. He's like, yeah, this Christian walk's awesome. No, no failure. All we do is win. He comes to his town. They burned it with fire. They, took, they take captive every woman that was there, every child that was there. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. The Hebrew in the language, it's very interesting, but it, it, they, it's used, it uses terminology as if you would take animals 
and you'd take those animals and beat them and force them in a direction. And that's pretty much what's happening. This isn't like, hey, come with us. These guys are demonic. And they've just taken everybody from the, David's hometown. I want you to know, no matter how dark the circumstances, how impossible it looks, God, God has answers for every situation that you're in right now. It, I understand, and like I said, I've been in these positions. And it's where, in the natural, you're looking for an answer, you just can't find them. And it's, 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 it's almost a hopeless place if you didn't have some information that's, that's vital to keep you standing. And in my life, in my ministry, I've had to deal with situations where like people that are brand new to the faith, I've had to deal with situations where trauma hit their lives and it destroyed their lives. They didn't, they didn't know God. They're new. They, they haven't even got to experience what most of you know right now about love of God and God, everything that God wants for their lives. So they're in the position where they can't get over this. It's like we came here, we're part of this, we love him, and, and we want to serve God, and all of a sudden this happened, and you revert. You revert to your strongest knowledge. And so I've, I've been in this situation where I've had to deal many, many times, and I've been in the ministry a long time, and I've dealt with many, many situations that are, are devastating. And I want us to be able to have the information. I want us to be able to overcome. I want us to be able to deal with what we need to deal with, but have answers for those that don't have answers. And I believe we, I can help you in what the word teaches. I know I can. I know I can. And here David is, as he's in an impossible situation. His men come to this situation where, can you, imagine, can you imagine going to work and coming home and you get to the house and your house is burnt down and you're like, where's my, where's my wife, where's my kids? And the guy who burned down your house, they, they took him. Can you imagine having that kind of day? You're just coming home from work. And that's what you're coming to. And this is what David and his men are coming to. They're coming to, their kids are gone. Their wives are gone. Their, everything's gone. Everything. Their town is burning. It's a heap. That's crazy, isn't it? So that's trauma, is it not? It certainly is. Now let's look at this. David and his men left, wept out loud. They cried until they had no strength to cry anymore. So we're going to receive instruction because that's the word of God says. The word of God says he was written for our instruction. Now, I don't know about you, but in a traumatic event, you're going to cry. You're going to cry. You're not going to have tears. They're going to flow. You're going to cry. Am I correct? You're going to cry. The problem is, is we in a religious concept, dictate as that as a lack of faith. Or we establish it as something of being weak. Is this not true? 
Now, if you are not a religious person and you're like new to the faith, you're more like, I don't know, is it? You know, you're not in that position, but you've got wrong teaching. What happens is we try to perform in the midst of a situation you can't perform in. So who are you performing to? This is not something to, to the, the first thing you do is you cry. You get it out. Why is this important? I'll show you why it's important. This is what science has proven. I, I love this because natural principle, spiritual truth. And I will show you spiritual truth on crying. But these guys are wailing. You ever been in a position where you cried to where you couldn't cry no more? That, that's, a, that's not a good place to be. I mean, it's even, everything about your body heaves everything. It's just like, <gasps> it's just pouring out. Now, you can cry for situations. Don't, you can cry to be happy. You can cry because you care. Do you understand? But when it's this type, it's you are crying to where you don't have strength any longer. That's a traumatic situation. You guys follow me? I, I want to make this clear because I, I want you to understand these are the times when you're going to have the most battle in your life. You can have issues and tough situations and they can be frustrating and you can even cry about it. But the truth of the matter is, is, this is these are the ones that bring devastation. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Everybody got that? All right. So science shows this. When you cry your body releases endorphins, and that is pain relievers. Isn't that interesting? It also releases a hormone, oxytocin, which is a love, they call it a love hormone. It's a hormone that's released in hugs, in human touch, a child with a parent in that position of, it's released in the area of love. Is that interesting? So crying is producing benefit. And you look at yourself and you go, well, I haven't felt any benefit from crying. Well, there's a reason why. And this is what we're gonna get to. Because they did cry. But we see something that's very interesting. It says they cried aloud until, everybody say until, they had no strength left to cry. What, what does that tell you as far as what we're reading? What's the instruction? It was uncontrollable. See, what you would need to understand is about emotion is this. You're in control of emotion. You think happy or sad. Thoughts cannot be manufactured in your head outside of your will. You choose to think. And if that sad thought continues, what happens with sad thoughts? Do they stay the same? Does a sad thought stay at this elementary level and doesn't go any further? No. It will always multiply. So does anger, right? Get home and, you know, the, the husband didn't do this or wife doesn't do this, and you're like, man, that's bad. I wanted that done. And then where does it go if you don't stop? Lazy, lazy. No good, I don't even know why I'm with that. And you keep going, amplifying. And all it was, you didn't take the trash out. 
I mean, are you hearing what I'm saying? Why? Because that's what they do. That's what they do. So what we have to do, we have to watch this. Hey, I get it. I am not, I am not at, at all saying, you got 20 minutes to cry, then shut up. I'm not doing that. I'm saying you are in a shock, a traumatic experience, and we get it. The problem is, is instruction. And this is what's gonna help us. They are operating in this physical action of trauma. We are looking at that and now going to learn from it. Amen? All right, let's go. So what crying does is it brings these chemical messengers to help relieve emotional distress along with physical pain. And that's, I am so, I'm gonna go home and cry later. I mean, it just, it's a, I want, I want the benefit of it. But isn't that crazy? Crying is a self-soothing behavior. Ignoring this emotion leads to stress in the mind and body. You know, if you're sitting there fighting back tears, I'm not gonna cry, I won't cry. It causes a negative. Oh man, cry, man, cry. Get those tears out. Don't be afraid. But isn't this interesting? I just find this fascinating. So you're not weak if you cry, all right? Unless you're a big girl, because big girls, they don't cry. <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? You, we look at this like, I can't cry. I'm not supposed to cry. You ready for spiritual truth? Jesus wept. Jesus cried. I don't know about you, but I don't look at Jesus, see him as a wimp. I, not even a tiny one. I see him as the greatest, strongest male ever. And when I look at him, I don't see weakness at all, nothing. And what did he do? Lazarus was dead. He came in the midst of the relatives, the family members, the people that knew him, and everybody is in trauma because Lazarus, who should not be dead, he's young, died. Jesus is in the midst of this, and what does he do? He cries. Y'all got that? Now pay attention. He cries. Why? Because it's going to give structure and information to this whole story. This whole, this whole story, this information, that's gonna help us. The weeping of Jesus reveals his humanity. It reveals that he cares. It reveals that he's not this robotic person on planet Earth, that he has emotional ties to people. You see this? That he loves. If he's like going, ah, whatever, let's, let's get this done. I'm gonna raise him from the dead. Did he know he was gonna raise him from the dead? Of course he did then why is he crying? See, that's what I look at. When I see stuff like that, I fall more in love with Jesus. I can't stop loving him more the more I get in the word. It's so wonderful. So now I see him crying so I know, okay, that's not a weak position. It, it has to be something beneficial, and so he weeps. Now let's move on. Proverbs 30, verse five. I mean, Psalms 30, verse five. Weeping may remain for a night, 
but rejoicing comes in the morning. What you're going to see is there's this process that takes place. There's a process of weeping, but the expectation of joy. The process of weeping, the expectation of joy. The process of weeping, the expectation of joy. I want you to hear me. The process of weeping, the expectation of joy. The process of weeping, not stop, done. The process of weeping, expectation of joy. The process of weeping, Jesus wept. The expectation of Lazarus rise. Do you hear me? These guys are weeping. Now, do they have an expectation of joy? This is what we'll see. And this is what's going to instruct and teach us, all right? So this crying by science says it brings health. What else does it do? It draws attention, doesn't it? Crying shows that I'm hurting. Why is that important? Why did, why did God create crying? We could just sit there and, what are you doing? Uh, my life's really, I, I'm going through a traumatic experience right now. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? That doesn't work. But the, the thing you have to realize is, is it's an outward picture of something happening in your life. For what? For someone else to see and to connect and to care and to bring alongside you and to be able to comfort you and to be able to help you. That's why we're created, not isolated. We're created team, together, family. So the crying brings that second benefit. You crying, my next response is, is I want to help. I want to help. Are you guys with me? All right. So that's, in, that's so important to understand. So the negative area of crying is this, when it becomes uncontrollable. Why? Because you are in control of your life. No matter what you hear from anybody else, opposite of that, it's a lie. You are in control. Now, in the position of trauma, I'm not going to give you the, the, the time frame of when you are out of control. But what I'm saying is there is a point in time where it becomes out of control. Well, how do we know? Is it an hour? Is it, is it three hours? Is it, is it 24 hours? How, how do we know? How do we know? Well, we know one thing that you can cry, but joy comes in the morning, so it ought not to be going all the way through. You see what I'm saying? But what we do know is this. The word of God gives us a picture of when you know. Because what do we always, what should we always be aware of in our life? We should be aware of, what are you thinking? Always. Now, the reason why we're crying is, is we're crying because of an experience that right now we don't have an answer for. It's a shock. You're trying to figure out, but most of the time, you can't at the beginning. You're just shocked. And so you're so emotionally tied to the situation that you're crying. You're crying. It's coming out. It's coming out. It's coming out. According to what the word, according to science, according to the medical science, according to scripture, it's something that's going to help you in this time period. But then there's a line to when you have to stop. You have to calm yourself. There comes a point where you calm. What do we he read here? It didn't come. Isn't that what we read? 
It came to where they lost the ability to. Not that they stopped because they wanted to. They couldn't anymore. All right. Do you guys follow me? All right. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you've been in that position, you know what I'm talking about. Because what's now going to happen is a certain type of thought. And this is what happens. You now come to the place where you become connected to a dangerous feeling, and it's called self-pity. That's what people do when they go across the line. Self-pity focuses in now on you. Why me? And it's not even you, maybe, that, the, the, that brought the trauma, but you start looking in to you, which, and everything operates this way, which leads to the worst place. Self-pity always will turn into bitterness. So pity is this. Why would it happen to me? How come? And, and I just don't know why. And what did I do wrong? Or what, did, what happened? So it's now focused now on you, which now becomes what? A position now where you have to have answers. But the, the thing is, is because it's self-pity, it's ne- that is not a positive emotion, by the way. You read anything on psychology concerning self-pity, it's not a beneficial thing at all. It's a negative. It is a negative in life, all right? You got to know this. Self-pity, when you're preoccupied with your own troubles and feel sorry for yourself, it will keep you stuck in an unhealthy cycle of negative thoughts. Hopelessness, as well as a sense of injustice about your life circumstances to where you become bitter and start to blame others and God. So you go from a position of trauma, this is terrible, emotional, it's, it's so bad to the place where you start, you cross a line because you're uncontrolled now emotionally. In that position, you now look to self. Why is this happening? Why would it do? And, and I go to church all the time, or I do this, and I'm, a, what happened? Where's God? And this is, this is exactly what takes place. Then what happens? Bitterness comes in. The Bible, Scripture talks about bitterness. It springs up. The root of bitterness springs up. So this is a position where it's starting to grow, and then all of a sudden it springs up, and it is a dangerous position to be in. But watch what we see here. So we have this picture of where they have no strength left. They're crying uncontroll, unco- uncontrollably. It turns into self-pity. Look at the, I'm going to bring you back to Jesus. All right, Jesus is crying, right? It says, Jesus wept. Do not think Jesus went like this. <laughs> okay, let's get on with it. No, he, the Jews, the religion, all the people, everybody that's there with that family, they see Jesus crying. He's weeping. To where they are now making conclusion about what he's doing. Right? Let's go. John eleven thirty six. Some said, see how he loved Lazarus. Why? Jesus is crying. <laughs> see how he loved Lazarus? Watch. Others said this. Who are these people? Jesus came on the scene. They're all crying. They're all weeping. 
Lazarus is dead. They're all crying. Jesus comes in. He's crying. Do you have people that now go, look, he loved Lazarus so much. So there's this, this connection of what I would believe is a right way of thinking. Then there's this other group that say this. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? What? Where'd this come from? Bitterness blames. When someone becomes bitter in a time of this traumatic experience and they cross the line, they look toward self-pity. They even start looking at others. Why, why aren't you doing? Why aren't you reacting? Why aren't you being this? Why? And it's all about, it's just about you. It's not about the situation. It's about you. Then what happens is bitterness comes in. Bitterness then produces these type of thoughts to where now you're looking at Jesus and saying, dude, you couldn't do it. You can do all this, but you can't do this. You shouldn't even be crying. This is your fault. Blame. Is this crazy? So what am I saying? I'm saying, pay attention, because we're learning something. We're learning how to be able to get off this train that's leading in devastation, not victory. This is going to be a loss and a big one. This is going to be a win. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be a win. All right? Now let's go. And by the way, you know, you know I've been doing this for a while. I've seen so many lives destructed, destroyed because of self-pity and bitterness. I mean, people that have had things happen years ago and they're still living as if it happened today. And they're bitter and they're evil and they blame, they blame God, they blame church, they blame pastor, they blame you, they blame whoever. They will blame anybody and everybody and they'll live this life of bitterness and in their life, it's, it's a destructive life. That's what scripture says, it will be. So what happens is this thing takes over you to where your life will be ruined. It says that it becomes where you, you pollute not only your life, but other people around you. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy stuff. So, self-pity will destroy faith. What I, what I believe, what I see from this is, is you should never allow tragedy to rewrite God's word in your life. Never. You never allow this tragic situation to redefine the word, your, your belief. Never let it go to that level. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Okay, so you want to blame, you want to make a response. This is what bitter does. It starts blaming. David was greatly distressed they ran out of crying. David's greatly distressed because the men were talking of killing him. What? 
these guys literally are living a life of victory and success because of King David. Their lives have been transformed, changed. They are winning in life. They have the best of the best. They have, a, they have great homes. They have great families. Everything's, they don't do anything but win. All of a sudden, they'll come back. The enemy came in, attacked their town, took everything. They're crying, uncontrollable crying to the point where it goes to where they're past the point of no return. They're the point of, I can't cry no more. They have now self-pity, bitterness operating in a big way to where they look to David and say, your fault. That is, they're not even thinking straight. It has nothing to do with what David. It's not David that caused this. But what does bitterness do? It's going to blame. It has to blame. It's going to blame you, God. It's going to blame you. It's going to, you killed, you destroyed. Blame God. And then what happens? That bitterness takes hold in your life. And it will not produce anything good at all. Like I said, I've seen this time and time again, and I can't stand it. I hate to see people this way, but I'm telling you, they, they literally will live a life on this earth ruined because they keep holding on to bitterness. And it is gross and sad. And I don't want anybody operating in bitterness. I want everybody free. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, don't allow a root of bitterness to spring up because it will cause distress. And through that distress, through that problem, through the troubles, because of bitterness, many become defiled. And that is the word contaminated. Contamination meaning that you are in a position where you're unclean. Unclean meaning that you can never be pure in heart. You can't be in a position where thinking will be able to be done correctly. Why? Because bitterness is growing in your life. And notice it says springs up. That's an agricultural term. That seed of bitterness gets in, it starts growing. And that root goes down deep, and then it springs up. This is what Scripture's helping. These guys went past the point of when they should have calmed themselves and said, David, what do we do? What did they do? Why did they go, we want to kill you? They want to stone him. Why do they want to do that? Because what did I say about thoughts? They're not thinking now. Now they're thinking everybody's dead. They jumped to the conclusion. There isn't one dead person there. The town is burnt. But they're not even looking at that anymore. They don't see like little bodies everywhere or their wives are, um, you know, burnt body. They don't see nothing like that because the scripture is very clear. They took everyone captive. Where where'd that come from? That's what I'm trying to say. When you get to this place, you don't think right. You're not even looking for answers. David's in a position where he's looking, he's smelling the smoke, people. He sees the devastation, and he's like, he cried with them. But they cross a line. David now is in this position where he's listening to these guys go, we want to kill you. Double, double problem. He lost his wives, kids. He's the same boat they are. And what to do? Blame him. Blame him. I'm... I'm cautioning you. 
I understand. That's traumatic. I can't tell you how I would, how I would feel. I can't say, oh man, I could, I'll deal with this because it didn't happen to me. But I know the things that I've had happen, they're very traumatic and there are specific things I had to do. But I'll tell you right now, it involved crying at the beginning. It involved a place of, what do I, I don't know what to do. I don't know, what, I don't have answers. But thank God, I've been in a position where David was in, not that my church wanted to kill me, but, but David goes to the next level. David strengthened himself in the Lord. See, how did he not become bitter? He could have become bitter right there. God, why didn't you, I've been doing all this for you. I'm destroying all your enemies. Why didn't you take care of this for me? I've done everything for you. I know pastors are in the ministry that thought that way. They used to be in the ministry. They're not anymore because they blame God. See, if we don't know the scripture, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the actions and works of Satan and put them on God. The devil still kills and destroys, not God, but that's what we'll do. Which, by the way, is the definition of blasphemy. Everybody thinks, well, you're, you're, you're using blasphemy by saying that cuss word. No, that's not blasphemy. Blasphemy is saying that God operates the way Satan does. That's being blasphemous, by the way. I'm not saying go ahead and cuss. I'm just telling you, all right? Well, if I'm not blaspheming, I'm going to go for it. You can do what you do, all right? Let's keep going. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. He chose to overcome. So in this, I want you to see something because remember the scripture says, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. God is never telling you, be strong in you. Remember we were singing that, the, the, the songs and we're singing about the power of God and things like that. The tendency is, is, is if you get wrong type of, of belief, you'll try to think that this is your power. It's not, it's God's power. It's in me, but it's God's power, all right? For me to pray for someone, it's not my power, it's God's power. For me to believe God and expect and see miracles, signs and wonders, it's not me, it's God's power. I'm just a vessel, I'm being used of him, but it's his power flowing through me. That's like when we were singing that song, hell, hell, lion of Judah, let the lions roar. You know what? The devil seeks isolated people whom he may devour. Why? A lion doesn't go after just a crowd of of animals. The lion chases to see who isolates. Period. That's how lions operate. They go, get the crowd moving, get everybody moving, and all the strong ones, all the healthy ones, everybody that's living right, they stay together and they're safe. But it's the ones that get off and doing their own thing. Ah, I don't need to follow the crowd. I don't like that church. I don't like this. The music's too loud. It's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. So David does what? He, see, what we do in a time of, of this type of situation is it becomes the biggest thing in our view, right? It becomes humongous. The Bible's very clear on how do we, through David, the Psalms and things like this, the picture is this. 
You can be in the most intense situations of life. And I'm telling you, when we're hearing these things, I'm not talking about rough day. I'm talking about death and life, okay? I don't want you ever to think that when we're talking about this, we're talking about just normal everyday trials and troubles. And, and I, the, I just, people won't ask me to lunch at work anymore and my life sucks. I'm not talking about nothing like that. I'm talking about the highest level of ugly in life, the worst of the worst. This is what David got, has gone through many times in life, and this is what he says. He says, magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. You'll see it over and over and over. Magnify the Lord. Now, that's, that's very important to understand because what we need to realize is this. If we don't magnify God, the problem, the situation, the problem we're dealing with right now is the biggest picture in our life. But when I magnify God, all of a sudden that picture of what I'm dealing with becomes smaller and God becomes larger. And by the way, God is big as big can get, but my perception of him has to become greater and stronger. And that's what mag magnify means. Magnify means get your perception seeing God bigger than the situation at hand. Bigger in everything when it comes to God. I know who he is because I know his word. What is he to me? He's what I need him. He's my deliverer. He's my healer. He's my restorer. He, he, he's all these things. So when I'm in a situation, I can call to him as whatever I need of him to be because he's all those things to me. If I need him to be the healer, I'm going to believe and expect that healing operate. That's what I do. I know him. And that's how Jesus walked. That's how he had the ability to handle situations and win and, and be victorious in this life to the cross. It, because he knew the Father had his back, that he's got, he's got a plan that's gonna work. And he went through tough times, tough times, and he overcame. And here we have David going to the place where he strengthens himself in the Lord. So he makes a decision. What is he doing? Listen to me. Everything around him is destruction. The people with him are wanting to kill him. And he strengthened himself in the Lord. I believe he has every reason to throw a fit. Every reason to get mad at them. Every reason to... to to go off, he has every reason to do everything where we assume would be the right thing to do. But what does he do? He shows himself in a different position than them. See, life, your life experiences will define your life reaction. I will say that again. Your life experiences will define your life's reaction. These guys had a rough life. They've been following David, and David's leading them down a right path. David's led a, li a rough life, but we know from the beginning that David has always put God first. Everything, anything he has, he's God. God, God will take me. God will deliver me. God will save me. So he's focused in. Now he's in distress, great distress. Scripture says great distress in the Hebrew literally means he is pressed in a corner and it's so filled with pressure that his soul, his mind, his body is feeling the cracking pressure. So he's not just, oh, this is tough. He thinks he's gonna die. 
So he reaches out to God. That's his help in a time of trouble. And you'll hear him say that all the time. And when you reach out to God, all of a sudden, you now have now elevated or magnified God in the midst of the situation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. That's Psalms 34.3. That's David. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Amen. All right. So David strengthened himself. He makes a choice. He strengthened himself in the, in the Lord. And then after that decision came wisdom. Always understand this. When you make the right stand, you make the right position, you now quit the part of emotionalism. You've released it out. You got it out. Now you're in the position of, I need answers. So I do now. I seek God. I magnify God. I get before him. And then what happens next? Wisdom comes. Wisdom follows. So the next step he does now is he says, bring me the priest with the ephod. And the ephod is the garment of the priest. And, God, and David says, bring the ephod. He, he, he commands the priest, bring it to him. See, he's not, he's, he's, he's not like, you do what you do. He ain't doing that now. He's saying, I'm putting this thing on. I need this. This is something I need to get clarity on. So he says, you bring the ephod. This is the vest that goes over that God told Moses to tell um, um, his brother Aaron and his sons, as priests of Israel, you, they will wear this linen ephod. And has, it was all, you know, all decked out in stones and everything else. So that represented the atmosphere, the relationship, the connection with God, the praying, the, the, just, just everything about it was is me and God were together. So he puts that ephod on. He puts it on. What's he doing? He's saying, man, I got to get close to God. I got to get connected. I got to see what I need to see, right? I got to quit looking at the ashes, quit smelling the smoke, quit listening to their death threats. I got to look into what, what is my answer, God? What do I need to do? And he throws on that priestly garment. And then he says, God, what do I do? do what do I do? Do I go after these guys? What do I do? Wisdom will always follow magnification of the Lord, always. And so he says, David said, Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him. David then put it on a choir of the Lord. Shall I pursue this party, this raiding party? Will I overtake them? God then speaks to David. What, what, what happened? Clarity. When you magnify your God, when you put him first, he says, seek first. Jesus says, seek the first of the kingdom of God. All these things are multiplied to you. Do you understand? What God has not one time said, David, will you stop being emotional? Quit being a crybaby. He doesn't do anything about all the things that he's dealing with. God only deals with what David is believing for right now. And that is, I need answers. I need answers. And I do not believe David's sitting there going all arrogant and look at me, I'm so cocky. I believe that he's emotionally, he's, he's strained. He's at a place, I don't even, I doubt if he's even standing. He's probably kneeling on the ground right now. He's got this thing over him. He's going, God, what do I do? I need direction. What do I do? The guys that want to kill him, 
still want to kill him. But now they're seeing something. See, this thing isn't about just me. This thing's about the bigness who God is. See, if I don't see you have the ability to overcome, where's my hope? If we, if we don't have that person that says, this is what I've been through. How, how can we even think that we could have any victory? But I need you to tell you something. People have gone through way worse than you have and have gotten through it. So don't ever think that you're in the worst, though it is the worst that you have dealt with, 100%. And no one's even questioning that. No one's even making light of it. But there have been people who have been way worse, way worse than whatever you've gone through. I'm just being honest with you, way worse. And they're through and over it and living life. We hope so, right? And so here, they're looking at David and going, he's talking to God. And we know when David talks to God, we get victory. Why? They've been with him for years. God said, let's go get these guys. We're going to own them. They go and they own them. God said, let's go over here. Take them out. We take them out. God said, God, David's just like going, let's go, let's go. They're like going, Winning, 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 winning. All of a sudden, devastation. Now David's at that same position where he's always at. God, what do we do? What do we do? And now they're backing off. Now why? Because when you magnify God, it brings focus in on for everybody to see. Everybody to see. So now the position is David gets this thing. He says, what do we do? And God answers and says, pursue them. You will overtake them and you will recover everything. Success is yours. And that's what David gets spoken to him. What has now happened? God encourages David. God is speaking to David. David said, Father, I need your help. I need wisdom. What do I do, God? What do I do? Behold their threatenings. Behold, the smoke is fresh in my nose and I'm seeing all this devastation. But God, I magnify you. I lift you higher above my circumstances. I need answers. I need help. I need your word, God. I need to put my faith and trust in you. And he's going through this process. God then speaks to him and says, go for it. Own them, win, be successful. And then what happens? David stands up, turns to these guys and says, are you gonna follow me and have victory or are you gonna lose in life? He now brings that same attitude toward them and says, we will go, we will win, and we will bring them all home. And what's now happened? They're all like going, go David, go. They're not talking, let's kill them. What's happened? When you bring God on the scene, there ain't no answers. There's no rhyme or reason. It just works. It works. The, the deliverance, the being set free, the healing, the wholeness is all happening. These guys wanted to kill their leader, which doesn't even make sense because if they would have killed him, they all would have died. They would have no hope. Their lives would be over. But they saw, they heard, they experienced David in a time of trauma. 
Go to God, rise up, and have a different countenance on his faith. Turn to them and say, my God has spoke to me and said, we will recover all. Let's pursue. And they're all going, yeah, they're roaring. The devil is as a roaring lion. He's not a lion, as a roaring lion. We are lions. We are lions. We roar. And if you know anything about lions, I've been in South Africa in a real lion facility. And we're not talking about zoo. We're talking about a place where the lions are out there roaming in these massive walls, these chain link walls. And you go into one and you enter a place where there's nothing. No, no lion at all. You can't just open a gate and come in and there they are. You have to go in and then there's nothing and they open another gate. Because if one gets out, it's still gonna be caught. And this is what I'm, I've been in. And we went, it was 5.30, I got there in the morning. We went there in the second feeding. I'm in this lion park. There's a pro, what I know of, there's approximately seven or eight lions, male lions. This place is big. So we're close to feeding. We're in a big van that's got armor on it. And we're up there, and these lions are the most biggest, ferocious looking things. And they're, these are lions. These aren't like, you know, let's pet them. So we're in this place, and all of a sudden, one lion roars. It is the loudest, it is scary. But then the other one roars, and the other one roars. And when you hear four, five, six lions roaring, it is the most freakiest, it is the most powerful, submissive noise that you would listen to. And they're going, and I just thought about that when we were singing that song, and God brought me back to me in Johannesburg at that place, hearing those lions roar, and we're singing the song, and I'm listening to what I heard in South Africa, and I thought, can you imagine if the people of God start believing who they are, and they start roaring in the position of what a lion truly is, the king, and what he does is he, he scares everything. See, the devil isn't a lion, he's fake. But real lions, when we roar, the devil runs in terror. Now you may be thinking, why did, what does that have to do with this? It's time, it's time in the place of devastation to roar the truth of God's word. See, it's knowing that this belongs to you. It's understanding that, listen, this isn't, my life. This is an attack on my life. We don't, I don't need to know reasons why. There's no purpose in reasons why. I want answer, not reasons why. There is no need for reasons why. Reasons why aren't looking for an answer. I want the answer. I don't care about a reason why. Don't want to know. I want an answer. David's needed an answer. He didn't go, why God, why did this happen? Why didn't we get it back in time? How come, how come you brought us late? Or how come we went after this and we could have came straight home? How come, no, 
He wasn't asking why. Don't run to why. Run to, I need the answer. And then when you have the answer, magnify it over the situation. We will overcome traumas, period. And in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of these things, we gather together and we don't fight alone. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the word. And Lord, I believe that your information reveals the importance of standing our ground. Yeah, there are times of emotion. There are times when we lose our breath and we don't have an answer. But praise God, we don't stop there. We keep moving forward into the light of your word. Your word then brings magnification of who you are in the situation, which when we do that brings forth wisdom. And the wisdom is the information needed to continue the fight. And as we continue the fight, we keep building up because the word is being ministered to our hearts and ministered to our eyes and our ears. And as the word is continuing to move forth, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. And as we hear God's word in our heart, as we hear God's word being spoken around us, as we hear others speaking the word of faith, it continues to build and build and build and build to ultimately we overcome and we win. And then we now share in the responsibility to tell others uh, how great and good our God is. So Father, we thank you for that. We will operate in this wisdom and understanding and we will bring victory to you, for you, because you greatly love us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, I love you guys. for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.